Yo, what is good, y'all? Welcome to the John Cat Show, episode number 35. Thank you so much for tuning in. I uh, really appreciate y'all. Hope everybody's having an amazing week so far. It's Wednesday, hump day, they call it. Notice I keep changing up the intro music on you guys that's teasing these lists. I don't know if people like these lists. I've been doing a list at the end of every show. Top 10, whatever. Top 5, whatever. Could be movies, sports, music, you name it. I have a, a, a million interests. I thought it'd be fun. I always like doing lists anyway and ranking things. It's like one of my favorite combos and debates to have with people. I think everybody loves that, ranking things, what's better than what. So so I do lists. Uh, so that's a teaser. People will recognize it, I'm sure. The end of this episode is going to be top 10 uh, John's favorite all-time rock albums. It's always John's favorite. This isn't. I'm not some professional critic. These are my personal, mostly nostalgic type deals. And uh, they're going to do rock albums this time. In any case, that'll be at the end of the show. You know, I, I, I've been getting a lot of feedback online, and it seems like people like, and I've been doing a lot more of it. I don't know. People like vitriol, yes, but the most positive feedback I get that I appreciate is, uh, you know, people seem to like talking about a lot of the mental health stuff and so forth. So, hey, if uh, if there's something I, I probably know a little bit about just through life, it's it's maybe that, and it seems to be helpful. So, I'm talking about that, I actually want to talk about physical health. By the way, I've I've heard I should look into the camera more. I always thought that's creepy. Like, you tell me, should I just stare into the lens like this and talk the whole time, like one of these Ben Shapiro or uh, what's that other guy's name? The buff, uh, light-skinned, black Fox News guy. What the hell is that dude's name? Bongino? Just stares at you like this, though. I don't know. I don't know. It feels weird. It doesn't feel conversational. I don't want to... Anyway, for people not even watching, if you're just listening, you don't know what I'm talking about, but maybe I'll start staring into the camera more. But yeah, I wanted to get into some of the physical health stuff, because that's always paramount. I've done other shows on it. I talked about nutrition and things, but... Uh, it's really important and I haven't spoken about it lately and it all ties in together anyhow. So I'll do a show here on some physical health, some mental health, and, uh, and maybe get into some other stuff and then do the list at the end. So, uh, you know, when, when it comes to mental health and, and what I see in society right now and what I see from other people and what I've experienced for myself, you know the 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 main message I would I would give to people, and, and this is this is important, and it's kind of nuanced. So bear with me here. But you know, I talk about all the time how you know one of the most important things that would have helped me, and and, and I, I've I've discussed on here as a younger person, I went through a lot of my own struggles with some mental health stuff, like so many people have. But you know, looking back, the the main thing that would have helped me back then was to kind of understand that everybody was going through other stuff or that it, even if they weren't, that it, you know, it didn't make me uh, uh, weird or broken or it wasn't something to be ashamed of. You know, the hardest part in dealing with it was just like the feeling of shame and feeling like you had to hide that from people or, or that if people knew that about you, they'd think you were weird or whatever. You know, this is like, you know, back in the 80s, 90s, but see, here's the thing. So now, look, I'm the first one to say that we overdiagnose the shit out of everybody, especially kids, right? We overdiagnose everybody and we overmedicate everybody, right? But the two things I'm talking about are not mutually exclusive, right? So like by by talking about stuff more, see, it's not mental illness to feel certain things. It doesn't mean you're a damaged person broken human if you feel certain terrible emotions it means you're human and it's the human condition and sure some people are going to feel that stuff more deeply than other people feel it of course but you can be open and honest and unashamed about it and at the same time like in other words you're removing the stigma we do have an issue with saying well every kid has ADD or every kid's got some other disorder and they need this pill or that pill that's a problem what we should be telling the children or adults or anyone else is, hey, it's okay that you feel extremely anxious or you have issues that maybe most other kids don't have as severely or it's more difficult for you to function in a certain environment because you have these involuntary physical responses to things that you can't control. 
You know, it doesn't mean you're a sick person. Oftentimes, maybe you're just more empathetic. Maybe you just feel a little more deeply than some other people. And then there are advantages to that, too. You know, if you look around at all the people who have created, I always say, people that have created the most, uh, you know, unique and impressive art and, and you know, written all the greatest songs and poems, they feel more deeply, right? You don't, you don't, uh, I say it about actors all the time. You look at the performances some of these actors put in, it's like that person feels, not all the actors, 90% of actors suck, that 10% who are just amazing. And can take themselves to those places emotionally. It's like they're they're feeling stuff and they can access stuff in a different way. And I guarantee if you went back in most of those people's lives when they were a kid or a teen, it was like, oh, well, they have emotional problems or, or, you know, or perhaps they were during a time where you just didn't talk about that stuff. You know, a lot of kids or a lot of people maybe just never learned how to how to love properly or, or how to process their emotions properly. You know, they, they weren't shown examples of, of what that means. And, you know, a lot of stuff people are born with, a lot of stuff come, you know, it's, it's always the nature versus nurture environment. It's both, obviously. And then I assume certain combos result in other things too. But it's like, I guess my point is, in all this, it's such a messy, dirty world. And everyone's coming from such a fucked up place. And we spend so much time being ashamed of things and thinking things are wrong with us and then focusing on the things that we think are wrong and and then allowing those things to impede in our lives in a real way but honestly if anything's helped me and I was to give advice to anybody from a mental health standpoint it's just look around and everyone's dealing with some shit and it's part of life and it's part of the human condition and it's supposed to be tough. It's not supposed to be easy stuff. You're going to hurt. You're going to lose things. You're going to lose people. You're going to fuck up. You're going to have a gazillion mistakes and regrets and everything else. And uh, that is life. The more you expect to go through it, not experiencing those things, the worse you're going to feel when those things happen. You're going to, and, and you're going to let people really do create these insane mental prisons for themselves and it comes from uh you know wanting to feel safe and secure not be vulnerable or or a million different things or like i said just not even understanding how to process things the way other people might because you know maybe they grew up differently they were born you can't you can't compare it right you can't compare it i would go well Look at this guy. He doesn't seem, A, that guy might be dealing with the same shit or worse shit than you. You don't know. But then B, yeah, not everyone's going to have the same set of issues. But you got to understand that it's part of life. And sure, this person, that person, two years from now, you're going to be feeling like a million bucks. And that person's going to be hurting like a motherfucker for some other reason. It's just life. But yet, you, you don't know what people are dealing with. And I could tell you, myself in particular... It's a, it's a, it'd be a very tiny, tiny number of people. You know, I had a lot of friends and I did a lot of stuff. And uh, the particular type of shit I was dealing with was pretty severe for, for a little while anyway. But the people that knew me and were around me wouldn't have thought that, you know, I think they would have assumed other, th- or I just, you, people can really do a great job of, of learning how to, uh, to hide stuff. And then sometimes you have to like, you have to reveal some of that stuff to some close people because it's like, hey, you know, otherwise they're going to misinterpret it. So like, that's the other thing. It's better to be open. People, when you feel a certain way, and I'm not even talking mental problems, right? When people are ashamed of their behavior in general, as it applies to mental health or just as it applies generally to, you know, situational stuff, when people are ashamed of their behavior or regretful, whatever, they, they act defensive and argumentative in those moments. So like, and even if you don't, even if you're just playing it nonchalant, people are going to misinterpret your behavior. They're going to misinterpret your emotions. They're going to misinterpret your motives. They're going to misinterpret everything about you. So you're better off just swallowing your pride and telling people like, hey, I deal with X, Y, Z. This is why I act this way or this is why I act that way. If it's an important person in your life, because 
you know, otherwise they are going to, and then you're going to sit there frustrated and be like, how is this person, you know, upset with me or, or, or disappointed in me? Like if, you know, if they only knew, well, you know, again, don't be ashamed. By the way, if you open up to people about the stuff you're dealing with, then you will find that they'll open up to you about stuff they're dealing with or have dealt with. I don't know anybody that just goes through life uh, without struggle and doesn't have some really, you know, dark, painful, reflective moments. But like they say, those are the moments that make you grow. Those are the things that teach you the biggest lessons in life. You don't you don't really learn lessons. You know, you learn lessons when you lose things, right? Or when you fuck things up badly or you break something badly. And because when you're just kind of coasting along, you don't ever stop to think, oh, wait, what What should I be doing differently or what did I do differently? And maybe that's great because you're doing the right things in those moments. So, but uh, like I always say, anyone can be coasting along and everybody gets hit with some shit. So those those are the moments you learn in. And really, I saw someone recently on TikTok, they were saying like, if you have negative, yeah, I, I watch TikTok, whatever, fuck China, I don't care. If if you have negative emotions of any kind of anger or whatever, right, you give yourself five minutes to just bang that shit out. Five minutes of just, you know, breaking some shit or whatever that you need to do. And then what did he say? You say the phrase, can't change it right? Say that. Can't change it, right? Because 99% of the stuff we get into, so worked up about into a frame, it's it's stuff we can't change. And that's why it's so fucking frustrating because, um, you know, hindsight, you look and you go, damn it. It was so, such a simple thing to do differently or a simple thing. I can't change it. Get mad. Whether it's something just happened, something you're dwelling on from a while ago whatever can't change it now what now what do you do but yeah i think the biggest way to avoid a lot of those pitfalls is to be as open and honest from the jump about certain things because all all that stuff really stems from misunderstanding miscommunication misunderstanding people thinking somebody's intentions are different than what they are it's like that's what really messes people up from you know an interaction standpoint, relationship type standpoint. And again, all this stuff we're talking about with mental health, it's like it doesn't exist in a vacuum. It only exists as part of society. And most of the issues people have correlates into how they deal with other people, whether that's anxiety issues, whether that's depression. It's rarely ever just a person alone. It, 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 there's almost always some situational stuff tied into it because at the end of the day, happiness and being content and having meaning and having purpose and all that stuff just ties into other people. If you're sitting alone, it's like that movie uh, Into the Woods of the book with Emile Hirsch, you know, the true story of the guy. It's like that was the whole message of the movie, but it's true. If you're If you're alone in the woods... By yourself and believe me I've had a million times I want to be alone in the woods by myself and there were times in my life I could have spent probably a year alone in the woods by myself and been content or thought that I was I don't think I could do that now but uh what is you know the the final message of the movie you know if there's nobody to share it with it's like it's pointless it didn't happen like what's the difference but yeah, be, being able to talk about stuff openly, it only benefits everybody from just not feeling so alone. And I think feeling so alone is what is really the root cause of so many people's what you'd call, you know, mental health issues. And then and then people do they they put their guards up and you, you put yourself into this mental prison where you just go, well, fuck it. I'm not going to risk that stuff anyway or make myself feel vulnerable. And and then you look up and that shit costs you everything. So, But again, yeah, I would say just, you know, look around. Look how blessed you are in so many ways. That's something I say all the time. Because most of us, as cliche as it sounds, 
when, when as shitty as we feel sometimes, it's nothing compared to what other people are really dealing with on a real, real level and have dealt with since the beginning of time. And most of us are fortunate in ways that 99.99999% of human civilization and history couldn't have imagined. So that you go outside at night, you just look up at the stars and you go, well, I'm good. I got food in my belly and I got a roof over my head. And I got a handful of people I love and care about me. And uh, and the sun comes out, I'll be good tomorrow. And all this stuff that I'm creating in my head about my job or my relationship or 10 million other things that people get all frenzied or external events like, you know, pandemics and politics and everything else. Just breathe, man, and be like, all right, I got the essentials. I'm good. Live in a free country. I can get to and from places. I got clean clothes on my back. I'm good. I'm good. Deep breath. Can't change it. I'm good. You just got to go, hey, look, it's all part of the human condition. I, I'm not going to get through unscathed. It, it, it's all part of this unique and unexplainable blessing of, of being whatever a human is and having a consciousness and whatever this crazy fucking thing we call a universe is. I said it the other day, and I've said it a million times before. The stuff we get so frenzied up about. And look, I'm not diminishing. I'm not diminishing some of this stuff. Because if you hear people's stories, it's tragic stuff, okay? But we're, we're really spinning around on a rock right now at 1,000 miles an hour. And we're hurling through space at 67,000 miles an hour going around some ball of fire. We don't know how we got here. We don't know what we're doing here. We don't know what the universe even is. And then we spend our whole days just consumed by bullshit. It really is sad. It really is the most tragic fucking thing of all. Like, and I'm, listen, I'll say this a million times too. I'm the guiltiest of half of this stuff. I was just talking to someone about this the other day. Don't think for one second, because I get on here and, and sound, if I sound preachy, I but if I get on here pondering, it's because when I, when I ponder all this stuff and I say all these things, I'm learning right along with everybody else. I have no, listen, the stuff I say the most is so I can remind myself because I'm really the fucking worst at half of this. So I feel like, hey, if it helps me to think about these things and formulate these thoughts and say them out loud, maybe it's helping somebody else. Maybe it's not. I just get on here and be my own shrink and just use it as a place to fucking let the demons out. Whatever. But but don't think for a second that I'm I'm being preachy with it. Like I did this and so can no. I'm trying to figure out how to do all this stuff. So we'll figure it out together. That's the point. We're all going through it together. We're all dealing with shit. And along those same lines, listen. Don't stop believing in in magical, dreamy stuff. It's really what I just said about us hurling through space and all that. It's like nothing's weirder and, and less probable of having occurred than the human experience. Like, really, what the fuck are we doing here? And when you do stop and think about the stuff you place so much importance on, and then uh, the way people let fear interfere with everything. And yes, I am the worst at that and have been terrible at it. And sure, you know, they always say like a a real courageous person feels fear and does it anyway. Not everyone deals with the same shit. Certain things come easy to people. You know, one guy might be able to get up and talk in front of 20 people and it feels natural and normal and his heart doesn't beat fast. And another guy might not be able to fucking get up there at all and he's throwing up in the bathroom. And those are involuntary things. You know, I remember being in school, it was like, it's like junior year of high school, maybe senior, I think it was junior year. I was in a speech class. Now I didn't, I'm a pretty good speaker. Like it's funny, the the part about actually speaking, I'm okay with, but I hated, my issues was always anticipatory shit. When you're anticipating something that would drive me fucking bonkers. And I had a hard enough time sitting in class anyway. I was not good at sitting in a classroom at all. And, uh, you know, just anything of feeling trapped and constrained and having to like notify someone if you have to get up or just anything where you got to modify your behavior and it's so structured and rules. 
I was just saying online uh, on Twitter that I was never meant to have like a job where you could sit in an office and a traditional, a lot of people can't do that. We, you know, our society's molded into this thing. And then in any case, so I had this speech class and like once a week you would have to give a speech, you know, you would spend the week on whatever topic we worked on and you work on your speech and then, you know, probably Monday through Wednesday and then like Thursday and Friday, everybody would give their speech. And when it was time to give the speeches, the teacher would always say, do I have any volunteers? So she would always let people volunteer if they wanted to go first. And then people who want to go last can just sit and wait till they get called on. So, so when she'd say, who wants to go first, I would always raise my hand and I would say, me, let me get up there. And it, it appeared, it appeared to other people in the class, like I was doing it because I was so confident. And usually my speeches were pretty good. I, I like to write. You know, uh, it's one of the things I liked most. I liked writing. So I would get up there and I would give my speech. And, uh, you know, after, I don't know, a couple months of this going on, um, you know, some people, here's the point of this whole stupid story. Most people who have anxiety about public speaking are going to sit there and wait till they get called on, right? Or they're going to appear at least visibly nervous and, and, and affected by this experience. And that a lot of that happened too. The truth is, I was probably I was freaked out about it to the point where I just had to just get it over with and get up there and do it. And I I become so adept at hiding what was going on with me internally. And listen, there was plenty of situations when I was a kid and teenager where I would become physically ill with anxiety in certain settings, even as an adult, you know, and have to throw up and all those kinds of things. Um, you know, a lot of people deal with stuff to that extent. You'd be surprised how many people deal with involuntary, uh, reactions to that extent. And, and had I sat there for the two days waiting to give the speech, I would have gotten into a physically ill state from having to sit there thinking about getting up there. Now, once I got up there, and here's a great lesson, once I got up there and gave it, I was always fine. And that's not even the point. So the teacher says to me, well, that is actually a huge point. So the teacher says to me after a couple months in front of everyone, she goes, John, so many of these people seem to be uh, having an issue. And this was, by the way, in all ages classes, like freshmen through juniors. I remember there's a lot of freshman girls in this speech class. It was like a prerequisite that I'd forgotten to take. But she said, John, Maybe you can help some people explain how this seems to come so easily to you that you could just get up here and give them. You always volunteer first, you know, uh, let them know, like help them out. Sit in front of everybody in front of the class. So I was like, eh, like, all right. So I said something that I knew to be true. I didn't say, hey, I'm fucking more nervous than anybody. And I just do it to get it out of the way. I said, hey, you just got to look at yourself when, when you're up there, the way you look at other people when they're up there, meaning when other kids are giving their speeches, and you're a junior in high school especially, other kids are giving their speeches and you're sitting at the desk, you're not even half fucking paying attention to what they're saying. You're certainly not sitting there, you know, being critical in your mind of, of that they look nervous or awkward or, or, or mumbling through. Like, you're thinking about, you know, your, your fucking girlfriend or, or what you're going to do when you get out of school. Like, or you're writing some note to somebody. Or if anything, you're enjoying the speech. Like nobody's sitting there going, oh my God, look at this loser. You know? And, and that just, <laughs> that applies to life. I think people think others have stuff in their heads that they don't. And uh, it affects people's behavior in so many ways. But I guess there's a lot of lessons to be taken from that silly little story I told. I said, I'm going to write, send it online. I'm going to write an autobiography about my crazy little life. I'll be honest. If I did it authentically, you know, half the stuff I put in there, I probably never told anybody. But that's what would probably make it a good book. I was I was Googling that earlier. If when you write an autobiography, if you change people's names, I'm like, I'd have to change some people's names for sure. But then like, you know, other people are just going to know who it is by default. I don't know. There's a lot to ponder there. Like, can you be sued? revealing really embarrassing stories about people or stuff that someone else wouldn't want somebody to know about them. I feel like I would write the book, not show it to 
anybody, like unless it actually got published. I would shop it to publishers or whatever people do. If I got a book deal, then I would have to tell people like, hey, just heads up, this crazy book's coming out soon. Here's the other thing I often think about from like a mental health standpoint when it comes to kids and, and how it's so different today than it was. You know, I, I'm one to always be like, oh, it was nicer when we had less technology and, and more regular human interaction. And I do still believe that in many ways. However, people who think it's detrimental to kids' health, uh, you know, there's a lot of avenues of thought there. I've always felt like the, the biggest benefit to, to that some of that tech, listen, a lot of kids do feel alone and weird and may not have a specific group in their grade at their particular school and their small town of kids who they can connect with or are like-minded. But like nowadays they really can, whether through gaming or whether through other, you know, social media chats and, and it, like you can find so many like-minded people. Like I know for sure there's millions of kids who like their best friends who they consider some of their best friends is like their gaming buddy from Ohio who they've never even met in person. Like I could tell you that personally, I have a very good friend from gaming as an adult, even to be honest, you know, a lot of adult, you know, 40 year olds don't have a ton of dude friends either. It's, it's the social aspect of it is good. People conflate and confuse those things. Here's where the social aspect of it is bad. Um, and I, I, I saw a guy actually saying on online the other day, it was a good video. He was talking about, you know, things you could do at home, whatever. He was talking about that they don't bring the phone into the bedroom or whatever. And no phone after 8 p.m. or whatever when you're home. And that sounds stupid, but like uh, the phone's great. Being able to find anything's great, right? However, if if you're, if you don't need it for an emergency, like sure, there's, there's, you know, certain exceptions to this, right? So yeah, you might need it because of your job and an emergency, or maybe your kids have to reach you or whatever. But generally speaking, if you're sitting in a bedroom with a significant other, or for example, and it's nine o'clock and you're watching TV or just like, and you're both, you're both going through your devices and, and messaging and doing other things, talking to other people. And but it's like that, that part can't be good. I think where it hurts people sometimes is interrelationship wise with like certain people in their lives where it helps is to connect with other people outside of that. Or so it's like, you know, just like anything else, not to sound cliche, it's the balance, but more than the balance, it's just, um, the time and place and the intention of it. So it's like, it can be used for so much good. I don't like the idea that people think it's detrimental to the kids. You know, I, I, I've also heard it argued Look, I say all the time, kids' brains who were born today are, are going to be different. They're just not going to be the same type of humans we were. You know, the way we were introduced to technology and like the type we have today, smartphones and all that in the middle of our lives, it's just so different. And our brains went, our brains formed without it. But these kids' brains are forming with it. And it's not detrimental to their brains. Look, again, you obviously don't want your eight-year-old sitting there looking at porn all day. That's different. I'm not saying there aren't things that could go wrong. And if you're a parent and we're talking about kids, obviously, you know, you want to see what your kid, but all things being equal, assuming no bad shit is going down from a biological standpoint, it's helping their brains. They, uh, you know, and again, I'm quoting somebody here. They can see things more clearly because of it. You know, for us, we fumble around with that shit. And it, and it's the adults who are so easily fooled. And people keep talking a lot lately about, like, mass hypnosis or brainwashing and stuff. It's harder to fool the kids today, I think. I, I got high hopes for these youngsters. I think they're so far advanced with their fucking memes and their Snapchats and their red, whatever the hell they're doing. And their TikToks. And I don't even know. You think they're buying bullshit from from some politician or something like they're going, give me a fucking break. Like they really can discern a lot of the bullshit more easily than most adults. And that's that's a big hope of mine for the future. And it seems to be uh, reinforced by by other people as well. 
It's like any other muscle, or I always say with kids, if you learn something young, whether it be a sport, whether it be a language, I haven't been looking at the camera, by the way. I'm going to stare at it now. Whether it be a sport, a language, a golf swing, whatever, kids just pick it up like that, and it becomes ingrained. So mad I didn't start playing golf when I was seven instead of 20. And yeah, look, kids should still go outside and play ball and run around and get exercise and all that stuff. Yeah, you don't want to sit in the house just staring at butt. Just like any tool we've been given, people use it correctly. See, that's the problem with everything, is that people are going to abuse and misuse stuff. But then the masses that don't get lumped in like, oh, this is a bad thing. And they do it with every industry too. Rather than just focus in on and, and um, you know, ostracize the bad apples and punish people who do wrong or go that things. Everyone just blankets the whole thing and they go, well, it's all bad because look at all the kids who end up talking. It's like, you can't look at stuff in life and go, what's the, the worst part of it or the worst thing that can happen or what? And then just apply it to everything and everybody. There's way, way, way too much of that going on. That's for sure. And yo, there's another thing I'm guilty of is the phone thing too. My mom will tell you that the, she, she hates it. You'll be sitting at the dining room table eating and people are looking at their phones. It, it makes her fucking crazy. Now, when some kid born today is my mom's age, it's not going to make them crazy. They're just be like, well, obviously that's something that's been part of my life since I was an infant. But I think it is It's more unsettling and it's harder to kind of understand for uh, for older people. But also, again probably is disrespectful in that setting. Hey, we're going to sit at the dining room and have dinner for an hour or two. Everybody put your phones away. I don't listen. It's okay. Unless you need it on you because you need something. But if you just want it so you could sit there and surf social media, then yeah, be present for people. That's not rude or it's not a lot to ask. You're not being critical if, uh, if you want somebody's attention for, while they're present with you for a while. So, you know, and the, uh, the, the biggest tech benefit uh, for adults, I, I'll say it all the time. It's this right here. It's that you could just do anything. You could manufacture and sell something from your house. You can connect to everywhere and everyone in a way you never could before for, for a lower cost. Anyone can basically start a business for free or for very little from their home doing whatever they're really passionate about doing. And it's never been easier than before. And society's never been more accepting of it. If there's a benefit from the pandemic, it's that so many places just went, hey, yeah, you could do that job from home on the other side of the country. And by the way, you don't even have to necessarily do it for yourself. You could now, like, if, if look, I live in Florida. I could look all over the country for jobs now because of how many places would be like, yeah, we'll we'll let a dude work from Florida from his computer. We don't even have an office anymore. You know, we send everyone home and it's working fine. It's like half the companies did that. You could do that. You could do your own thing. People aren't as stuck as they used to be in a mold. It it is a good thing. It's been a benefit. People don't recognize that enough. It's not healthy to devote your every waking hour and soul to some tradition. Get in, get in your car, sit in traffic for 40 minutes, go walk in, sit in some office or cubicle for nine hours, fucking have a lunch break, fucking go home. Like, listen, I'm not knocking hardworking people that do that all day, but I bet a lot of those people, if they really sat down and thought about it, could find something they, they, they enjoyed and were a little more passionate about that they could just kind of be a little freer and less structured and do for themselves. And hey, if you're happy in those environments, great for you. A lot of people do flourish in that. A lot of people do love going into their place of business every day, whether it's selling something or, or, you know, they're a finance guy and they just love fucking numbers and they're happy sitting at that desk with the laptop crunching numbers all day. That's fine. I'm just saying if something's making you miserable and it's sucking the life out of you, you may have other options due to all this tech that's become available to us. I'm I'm putting it all way into the black as far as that goes. Speaking of financial terms, in the black, this turned into a long episode. I didn't even get, I don't know what, I wasn't talking about physical health. I just went on, I don't know how long of a mental health rant. 
Right, what did I want to say about physical health? I'm old now. I'm fucking old. I'm 42. I'm going to be 43 in April. I, you know, <laughs> yes, I'm having a midlife crisis. No, being healthy, it's like, I've said this on here before. I don't like repeating. I know I repeat stuff from other episodes, whatever. You really, it, it, it was a Jordan Peterson quote about how you wouldn't treat somebody you were in charge of taking care of the way you treat yourself. If you were put in charge of making sure someone else was healthy and, and cared for, you wouldn't put the stuff into their bodies you put into your own. You wouldn't even treat your car that way. You wouldn't treat your dog that way. And and we really do get the one life. And aside from all the mental health stuff, I mean, if, look, if you don't have your health, if you don't have the physical, the other stuff almost doesn't matter. You can't, you know, if you can't get out of bed, it's like, I, you know, and for me personally, look, I, I, I used to not think about that stuff so much. I honestly never used to think about even being an old person. Just kind of like, I don't know, will I even be old? Like, will I be around? It just seems weird. Like, when does someone transition into being old? One thing I can tell you for sure about myself and my own personal health is I'm quitting fucking smoking. I've been smoking forever. I, I, if anyone listens to this, they know I, I almost quit a couple months back. I'm done with it, bro. I'm saying it on here so that I'll stick to it more too, because then I, I got to update. I'm, I'm done. I got up like a pack. I think I have a pack. That's it. I'm not buying another fucking cigarette. So what? I go through a couple weeks of being sick. Listen, a lot less people with, with less strength and fortitude have done way fucking harder things than that you do have to quit for yourself okay you got first of all you something like this you're never going to do for anybody whether it's cigarettes or you're trying to quit some drug or drinking or anything else you got to do it for yourself number one if you're not doing it for yourself it's not going to work but that doesn't mean you can't draw inspiration from other people and what other people have done you can look at people you know or people you don't know a lot of times when I have something difficult to do, I literally picture somebody in a fucking shitty, like in a war zone. And I'm like, this motherfucker sat in a foxhole for two days, you know, sh- it, 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 taking gunfire and, and eating fucking MREs and bleeding. And everything. it's like, you, it's like you can get through this next few hours of whatever bullshit you're stressing about. You know, that's what I say to myself. It's so true. You can apply all that in so many ways. So I'm done with the smoke. That's number one. Like, It's crazy I've smoked this long. I didn't want to smoke past 40. I did quit when I turned 40 and then I started again. My dad got sick. There was a lot of stress from that. I used that as an excuse to start smoking again. Truth is, it should have been more of a lesson to stop. My dad died. He was 70. And he smoked too. He smoked cigarettes and cigars. Cigarettes again. Smoking is not what killed him, but I'm sure it didn't help. Going to, in a couple weeks, my grandmother's 97th birthday party. So there you go. That's some motivation. I mean, I sit here and go, I'm old. Look, lived to 97. God bless women, especially. And you can still enjoy stuff, you know, still enjoy a good meal, watch a good show, talk to people, have, have, you know, family over for your birthday and stuff. Like you're still having experiences. You're still experiencing human interaction all that time. So but yeah, with the physical health stuff, like just put better stuff in your body to get a physical, figure out if you're deficient in anything. And, you know, people have vitamin D deficiencies or magnesium deficiencies, you know, get checked out, put, put some good stuff into your body, exercise a little bit. Maybe I need to fucking exercise. That's one thing I don't do. I'm not saying you got to hit the gym and fucking somebody's telling me the other day, you know, you don't want to even work out like that if you don't haven't worked out like there's other things you could do to be physically fit. You know, you don't have to just start slamming weights. And it, it really does tie into your mental health so hard and vice versa. That's what's crazy about it. So like the more physically healthy you feel, the better you feel mentally, but also the better, more mentally healthy you feel, the better you feel physically. Talk about a cycle. I mean, half the physical ailments people suffer from stem from like emotional stuff or are exacerbated by emotional stuff. From, you know, headaches to backaches to stomach issues to everything else and vice versa. You know, they find now that gut bacteria and things like that 
attribute so heavily to your mental health. So that literally the stuff, you know, we have entire colonies of shit living inside our bodies. So like literally the stuff living in your gut is a, is a colony of organisms and they really are determining a lot of how you feel mentally and emotionally. So that stuff really does go hand in hand too. My whole thing with eating because I'm thin and I have a really fast metabolism and I don't gain weight. I mean, I could eat chocolate cake all day. I'm not going to really gain a pound. So, I, you know, I always went, all right, I eat. I also eat tons of healthy food, right? I always get a salad with my meals. I eat a ton of veggies and all that. I take supplements. I eat a ton of fish and chicken and grilled things. It's a ton of seafood. But then also I eat a ton of shit. And a lot of McDonald's and Wendy's and candies and chocolates and everything else. So I just always figured, hey, I'm not gaining weight. I'm eating all the nutritious stuff I need. So I'm getting all my vitamin and minerals and levels up that I need. And I'll just eat all the shitty stuff too. Because even if I feel like shit that day, like what's the harm? Then I had high cholesterol for a while. And I went, damn, they get you with the cholesterol. That's the That's the fucker. And maybe I'm genetically predisposed to that, which kind of sucks. But then I had to be like, well, shit, now I got to cut down some of that greasy fried stuff I'm eating all day because I don't want to have a stroke. So, yeah, physical health, mental health. I'll take this advice and I'll give the advice to you, which is go be the healthiest version of yourself. Right. Right. Go get healthy mentally spiritually be healthy and then let the rest fall where it may don't get stressed out about things that are out of your control you know be yourself trust yourself know yourself fuck it fuck what other people think about it all right so that's my my health rant physical health mental health it all ties in go easy on yourself go easy on each other do what the fuck you want to do in life Stop apologizing for who you are and what you are. People people that really love you will, will accept you as you are. And if they don't, fuck them. Listen, everyone's got to live with their own stuff all day. And uh, you, you, you really only have you most of the time. So, all right, it's been a long episode. So let me get to, uh, I'm doing top 10 rock albums. This is a big topic, a big a big subject to do, so... All right, people are going to hate this list. I, I preface every list, and I, I'll say it again. It's my personal. Obviously, rock depends when you grew up. If you grew up in the 70s, you're going to love the 70s shit. 80s, everyone listens to what they loved when they were, you know, in their formative years. Pre-teen, teen, maybe early 20s, that whole mixture. That's the prime for people when they're into music, and it's when you're so emotionally raw and confused and stuff really touches you so you know, 90% of what I listen to is stuff that I like from before a certain age. Yeah, I love some new stuff, but it's not the same. It doesn't hit you on the same level. So that's number one. So all you 60s people with your stones and your Beatles and stuff, this list stamp for you. All y'all heavy metal people, yeah, you might get a shout out on here. Not really. All right. Number one on the list, Pearl Jam's album 10. The album is called 10. Number one, John's favorite album of all time, favorite rock album of all time, Pearl Jam's 10. I think 10 is named after Mookie Blaylock, who was like their favorite. I think the band used to be called Mookie. They were just randomly huge Mookie Blaylock fans, and uh, they named their band after him originally, I guess, and then they they called it uh, called the album after his number. And listen, I don't care where people are at politically, nowadays especially, ugh. Doesn't take away from some from some uh, 90s Pearl Jam, in my opinion. That album was flawless also, just from a critical standpoint. What I was talking about before, you know, with emotion creating great art, it's like you can look at a lot of these bands and the stuff they create when they're raw and hungry and young. and poor, you, you can't recreate the same kind of pain and discomfort when you're, you know, 38 or 45 with, you know, a bunch of kids and gazillions of dollars and onto some whole other life and family and doing a million other things as when you were 20 and just sleeping on a floor somewhere and getting just fucked up out of your mind and just feeling all hurt and disgusting and, and weird and hungry. So that's where, 
That's always, it's very, very, very rare, especially in rock and roll or any type of rock that a band will maintain that for a long period of time. But that album was flawless. You could listen all the way through. It came in heavy with, you know, Alive and Even Flow and these great songs. I can't really listen to Jeremy the same way. Jeremy was playing when we were in the worst car accident of my life, where I won't even tell the whole story now. Maybe I'll tell it another. But my sister flipped us into a ditch. She had just gotten her license, and I was like 13. And that song was playing, and... Like I remember my buddy kicked the radio as we were, we were we were upside down in the ditch and uh we had to crawl out of this car all all fucked up and Jeremy was still blasting on the radio. Then it comes in soft with like black. Black is probably my favorite song on there. I know I'm a sucker for the sentimental sad songs, but if I had to pick a song from that album, especially more live versions I've listened to of it, I, I gotta go with black. And oceans and porch and garden, and then it gets soft there again at the end. It comes in with uh, deep and release and uh, perfect album, Pearl Jam's 10. And I base these picks too on what did I listen to most? I listened to that Pearl Jam 10 album, and to this day, we'll listen to songs and live versions of songs that were on that album all the time. I don't think it's even close if you just went, how, how, what have I listened to more than anything? All right, coming in number two, people are going to hate this, but I'm going <laughs> Guns N' Roses, Use Your Illusion 1 and 2. It was a double double disc release, Use Your Illusion 1 and 2, part 1 and 2. Also came out 1991. Hey, listen, this list says a lot about 12-year-old Johnny. I was heavy into music by middle school, and I was a dark kid, man. By elementary school, I was already pretty heavy into some like dark music you know, by like fourth, fifth grade. Here's the thing about GNR. I was already a huge GNR. I say, that's the thing. People are going to hate like, like, you know, they had lies and appetite. Appetite's the album. Everybody says is their best. It's a great fucking album. Listen, patience from the lies album was like my, my girlfriend and I song in the fourth grade. So it's already a big GNR fan. Appetite for destruction is, is such an amazing album and it is tight. And there's, <laughs> but again, when Use Your Illusion came out, to me, it's such an underrated album. To me, it's Guns N' Roses at their full peak when they'd already, they were still raw when they recorded it. They they didn't last long thereafter. They kind of all fell apart, started having terrible arguments. The shit they put out after really sucked, and then they broke up. Okay, but it really was at their peak. And Axel was like, he really was a composer and the lyrics and there's some really long. That's the other thing. People weren't doing these long songs. The long songs, November Rain got a lot of cred, but it was like an edited radio version. But songs like Estranged and Coma even I really took to. They're, they're just these long, you know, you know I, I, Estranged I'd call, maybe call like a rock ballad. I'm not sure what you call Coma. It's like some of these, this, they sound like two, three different songs. Again, the way they're kind of arranged and composed together was so unique. The lyrics are really deep and hold up. People didn't love Axel's voice. It kind of became a joke to a lot of people. I don't know. I saw them in concert down here in Miami two years ago. I thought they were fucking amazing. They did the Super Bowl show and uh, and they they really banged it out. I was very impressed. But yeah, people know a lot of the songs. Don't Cry, everybody knows. The, the remake of Knocking on Heaven's Door, everybody knows. You had the one from uh, Terminator 2. What? Uh, you Could Be Mine. Terminator 2 was a huge movie. That song was huge there. Listen, even Dis 2, when you come in with like songs like Civil War and 14 Years and Yesterday, is it's like, those are great fucking songs. I, you know, I argue all the time about a lot of art, music, TV, movies, the, the 90s really did max out a lot of stuff. They they were able to just kind of refine and try things others. And I know people, you know, listen, anyone older than me is going to go, Led Zeppelin was a thousand times better than Guns N' Roses. And maybe people my age think that too, but I'm not so sure about that. GNR, in their prime, while it was short-lived, was as good a fucking rock band as there's ever been. And I'll say that take that to my grave. It's not even the right expression, but still I'm taking that to my grave. I stand by those words forever. All right. So GNR, user illusion one and two coming in. Number two, coming in. Number three, people are going to fucking hate this list. I don't care when I did the list. I got, I got to be honest with it. I got to be honest. What have I listened to most? I got to be honest. 
Okay, and I'm including some live, I gotta say this too, I'm including some live stuff in here, right? But it has to have been like still packages and albums. So especially back in the day, you couldn't just go on YouTube and watch anybody's live performance, you know, and yeah, there were bootlegs and stuff like that, sure. But was it released as an album, like a CD, like in stores and things? Was it a real album, even though it was recorded live? It counts, in my opinion. And so with that in mind, number three, Dave Matthews and Tim Reynolds live at Luther College. Now, I did a whole show on Dave. I did like his top 20 songs. Fine. All right. Now, Dave and Tim Luther came out, I think, 96. I've mentioned in 96, I was not a Dave Matthews guy. I I would have been a junior in high school. I was not listening to them yet. So admittedly, I became a Dave fan late. This is why this is even extra unique. I started to get into them like at like 19, which I mentioned through my cousins and stuff. But then I quickly found this Dave and Tim live at Luther. And ironically, it's not a Dave Matthews band album. It's two acoustic guitars. Dave, this dude, Tim Reynolds, who's probably the most underrated acoustic guitarist in the world because no one's heard of him. And he just plays more made from a layman's ear. He plays more amazingly than anything I've heard. It's just the two of them with acoustic guitars and Dave singing. And it's the best versions of all their classic stuff and all their greatest songs with, you know, two step or Jimmy thing or warehouse or 41 or any of those songs. They're all on there. And uh, again, I've listened to that disc as much as anything. It's perfect from beginning to end. Sound quality is flawless, especially for its time to do a live album at that time and have it come out that good. It was not as common. And then I'd also recommend for, you know, 10 years later, they came out with Live at Radio City to me. People love the Live at Red Rocks. Dave Matthews Band album is one of their best live out. They're a live band. It'd be tough to say one of their albums is better than some of their live content or albums because they just do such a, they blow these songs out live. And they're, they're so much different and more complex and more amplified than the album versions. So, all right, I'm going to keep it moving along. That's number three. Coming in number four, more hate I'm going to get for this. Counting Crows, August and Everything After. Um, it it came, in, came out in 93. So, again, I was in that young Johnny Raw, you know, puberty stage. I think that's when I was, a lot of that stuff, man. The music from that time. 12, 13, 14, 15. That's like stuff so raw, you know? Yeah, Counting Crows. Listen, they're a rock band. They're not a pop band. Let's number one. Sure, they're not heavy, you know, heavy rock and roll. Fine. They do play a lot of electric stuff. I wanted to also shout out, shout out their live album, Across a Wire, which uh came out not long thereafter and was a lot of acoustic stripped down stuff on one disc and then a lot of electric stuff on the other. But again, talk about perfect albums, August and everything after you can listen to all the way through people hate on, you know, raining in Baltimore or whatever. I like that song. Again, I like the depressing shit, whatever, but round here and obviously Mr. Jones and rain King. And then there's just underrated shit on there. Like Anna begins and, and, and perfect blue, blue buildings and all that. Counting Crows for a minute, too, were one of the best. And you know what I like? Listen, some of it got annoying later on. I feel like he was trying to, again, it's it's when you're young and hungry. When you're young and hungry, it's different. But I like that his lyrics were not so easily interpreted. You know, it's, it's more of a poetic thing. And then later on in his career, like I saw them live and he kind of talks. He already kind of had a tendency to speak lyrics, not sing them. And he just started doing way, way more of that as he got older, too. So not knocking Adam Duritz or Counting Crows. Again, I'm ranking their fucking album fourth all time on my rock albums list. And again, I'm basing it on, I played that CD. To this day, I listen to Counting Crows all the time. Whatever the vibe is that early Counting Crows gave off, when I need to feel a certain way, I like to put them on. It kind of centers me. That that whole energy they were they were vibing on back then, It's it's the right energy. I like it. And some of their subsequent albums, about I say that as well. And they really have some really great old live content. Yeah, and there's another benefit of technology. Go on and watch so many live shows, uh, you know, and uh, live performances of, and just listen to. Maybe they don't have them on video. Fine. 
you go on these as you know SoundCloud or Spotify, or you, you can listen to so many great versions of stuff like you didn't even know existed, stuff that was recorded back when you were super into this band that you never would have got your hands on, and now you can listen to it today. And they used to also mix up their live stuff so much and go into these medleys where they combine two or three of their songs and do like 12, 14 minute versions. They, they have some really interesting live content out there that I play all the time to this day. All right, coming in number five. This is one everyone's going to kind of agree with and is universally loved and it gained a huge cult following, but uh, Nirvana MTV Unplugged and People would probably argue some of their studio albums, studio albums were better. Eh, listen, these the, the thing about the Unplugged album, okay, it wasn't their music mostly. I think they only did, I want to say, like maybe two Nirvana songs on that performance. And I guess the story goes like the producers were all pissed at them because they came on and did like, not only did they do covers, they did covers that no one ever heard of before. That's what makes it crazy. So other than like a couple songs they did of their own that people knew, they did like all these meat puppets covers and stuff. And like producers were like, what the fuck was that? And uh, and it became like the biggest selling unplugged ever. And everyone fucking loved it. And it was just Kurt in like this tattered cardigan, just doing all these slow, sad, dark versions of songs people didn't know. And then people grew to love those songs, like never even heard of them before. And then obviously he took his own life shortly thereafter, not long thereafter. And I think it kind of even grew from, I think, you know, to this day, if there's any band, new kids, young kids today, wear their gear to look cool, it's Nirvana. They still have that, you know, culture counter vibe. Like there's 20 year olds walking around all day with Nirvana gear on that couldn't tell you a Nirvana song, but they just want to wear something that's like, I'm cool counterculture, like, you know, fuck society. All right, let's keep it moving along. Coming in number six, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Blood Sugar, Sex Magic. I'm not going to go into nine-hour explanations on each of these. Y'all can look these up. if you know. I'm, I was a, a huge Chili Peppers fan from the early albums and the, the Mother's Milk and all that stuff up to some of the late stuff. There's a band that actually kept with producing really great content for a really long period of time. And I felt that some of their late stuff actually, when they kind of revived themselves, some of that stuff was as good or better than some of that early stuff. But Blood Sugar Sex Magic was a pretty early, I thought maybe it was their third album. But it's really the one that put them on the map. And there's just so many bangers on there from beginning to end. And there's heavy shit that's, you know, it's punk. I don't know. People thought it was like, kind of punk rock, whatever you want to call it, down, down, a different type of vibe. They're hitting different type of stuff on the guitar. I don't even know what you call that. Give it away and then all, you know, breaking the girl and all these amazing, listen, Chili Peppers are extremely underrated and that album from beginning to end. Again, I think what makes a great album is it carries a vibe and a consistent energy through it. And so like when you listen to it, you could just go like, okay, I want to be in this type of mood. Let me listen to this album. And it's not all over the place. It just kind of, it sets a certain tone and it kind of takes you through a whole story with it. All right, coming in number seven, kind of a curveball here. It's Temple of the Dog. Temple of the Dog. This was mostly Chris Cornell lead singing and then Eddie Vedder on a couple songs. It was when... Pearl Jam and Soundgarden were kind of first going to form and they did this one. I don't know the whole exact detail, but they did this like one-off album where it was half Soundgarden guys and half Pearl Jam guys. And it was uh, Chris singing lead mainly and Eddie singing backup. It was, it was definitely before Eddie was on Pearl Jam, I think. Yeah, that was a self-titled album, Temple of the Dog. Everyone knew that song, Hunger Strike. You know, I'm going hungry. I'm going to edit that out, be trying to sing. Um, People didn't know the other songs. I don't know that any of them were released on radio or got videos. Maybe, I don't know. I kind of maybe remember seeing a video for like Times of Trouble or something. But yeah, uh, that was an amazing song, Times of Trouble. Say Hello to Heaven, Pushing Forward Back. Again, I base it so heavily when that album came. I think, okay, if I'm not mistaken... I became a diehard Pearl Jam fan first. 
And then I discovered the Temple of the Dog CD, and I was like, oh, shit. And I also like Soundgarden. That was it. I was a Pearl Jam guy and a Soundgarden guy already. And then I heard this, and I was like, wow, I didn't even know this thing had come out. You know, back then, we didn't have the fucking internet. I lived in a small town. Like, you go, how do you not know your favorite bands made a fucking album together? Like, news wasn't traveling down where we were at. We didn't know what cool stuff to wear. Like, we had our own weird shit. You get like word of mouth. Now Temple of the Dog made its way like wildfire through my school and everyone had the disc. But like we were all late to that game. Nobody we weren't living out in Seattle. People that in Lynchburg, Virginia didn't know what the fuck was going on in L.A. You know, you had to stumble upon this kind of stuff. So, again, that album carries just a great vibe all the way through. Uh, Chris Cornell, rest in peace. Also, man, these guys all died. Kurt Cobain. Rest in peace, Chris Cornell, rest in peace. One of the best male rock vocalists of all time, if not the best. So anything Cornell, especially young Cornell, is just belting his ass off on is going to be amazing. All right, coming in number eight. I said no heavy metal. I, you could Maybe this is kind of heavy metal. <clears throat> it was one of their lighter, less metal. I don't know. Metallica's Metallica, self-titled also. Metallica's Metallica, 1991 also. That year. Hey, look, if you came out in 91, you're Johnny's all-time favorite. What can I tell you? Enter Sandman. Sad but true. I'm forgiven. Nothing else matters. I remember they had like, you know, again, I like a lot of the slow stuff. Whatever. I don't want to sit there and listen to some head banging, blah, 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 shit. I, I'm, if people like it, good. I never got into all that. This album was not that. I played it a ton. And yeah, when I'd be in like my dark, angry, weird places, I put on some fucking Metallica. I sound like that. <laughs> was that uh, in Silver Linings playbook? The neighbor, the neighbor who's with Julia Stiles. I can't think of his. He's he's complaining to Bradley Cooper about his marriage. He's like, I just go in the garage and put some fucking Metallica. And just da, 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 da. but yeah, that was me. That was me when I was young, getting the demons out. All right, coming in at number nine, kind of a curveball. Def Leppard Hysteria. There's a throwback to all you 80s dudes. Now, it seemed like I'd be young. And I loved, look, I went to a Poison and White Snake. I'm sorry. I went to a Poison and Rat concert in elementary school. And I also went to a Motley Crue White Snake. I was into those bands in the 80s. Don't get me wrong. A lot of that stuff doesn't hold up necessarily. Def Leppard was fucking legit. But again, I think certain albums you just connect to and are drawn to at a certain time and they just you know, kind of become, you become connected to them. This album came out, it would have been around eight. It's actually, I, it's when I started flying. My dad, my parents had divorced and long story, whatever. My dad had moved up north to Jersey, North Jersey, New York. We were down in Virginia. So I, my sister and I would fly up there unaccompanied all the time. And I had my, you know, I had my little Walkman. And I remember playing that fucking Hysteria album. And I know people say Pyromania is a better album. Eh. Again, I thought they were way more. Po- and again, I was too young. You know, I was, you know, four or something in Pyromania. I don't know. I know I listened to that hysteria cassette over and over and over. And I remember it was the first thing thinking, like, wow, I could listen to this all the way through. Like, I don't have to skip over songs I don't like. Again, that's that's the thing. Keep that vibe all the way through. Animal and love bites and pour some sugar on me. You know. And and even the song Hysteria, it's it's a it's a fucking almost perfect album, and it hit me at just the right time. All right, coming in number ten. This was tough. I had to really think about a, a lot of albums, but it's it's I had to be honest about it. And it's it's another Pearl Jam album. It's Pearl Jam versus. It came out in '93, two years after Ten, that I put number one on this list. You know, to be honest, I might even could have put it higher. Ugh. I was just such a Pearl Jam fan back then, and I listened to Versus so much, too. And I know people think Vitalogy may be better, and I loved a couple songs off Vitalogy, but as a total album, I got to go with Versus, Animal, Daughter, Dissident, Elderly Woman Behind a Counter in a Small Town, Leash, Indifference. Indifference, I fucking love, too. Like, they always... They did it with 10, too, when they, they close it out with release and then indifference. Almost the same exact kind of song. Just, you know, a, a belted out, dark feeling rock ballad. So that's my list. Top 10. I think this is a long episode. I got to give shout outs to some people on this. So, yeah, GNR 
Appetite for Destruction was very close to making this list. Uh, Green Day Dookie was really close to making this list. And yeah, shout out, you know, Pink Floyd and those kind of albums. Look, I, I did get into some Floyd stuff and I love Dark Side of the Moon album and all that. But, I, I, you know, and could I say that from a technical standpoint that, of course, some Led Zeppelin stuff or some Pink Floyd stuff is better than maybe some of the stuff I put on this list? Sure. But, I, you know, I wouldn't be being honest by saying that it's my personal top 10 album list. This is not some critical deal here. I even thought about putting No Doubt on there. That No Doubt album, again, if you if you got into it at the right time, so many great songs, really. And sounded like stuff that didn't come before it, in my opinion. All right, so that's the list. I don't know what list I'm doing. Hit me up on Twitter. Let me know what lists y'all want to hear on here. John Katz Show, at John Katz Show, wherever you look. Um, I really hope you guys are having an easy week so far. Hang in there. I know shit's crazy for a lot of people. I see a lot of people getting worked up main message of the show we're all we're all in this stuff together so hang in there help each other out and yeah i'm saying that because i haven't done a great job of it myself so there you go and uh i will see you guys in a couple days thank you all so much for tuning in subscribing all that i truly appreciate it more than you know be easy have a nice peaceful week thank you so much see you soon peace